Like there's only one page that even mentions the white witch, which she's actually the purple witch. Why can't the white witch be white? <laughs> she can never be white. She's, like, she's never like, white. Like, oh, maybe she'll actually be white. Nope, she's purple. Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome back, Narnia Webbers. This is Glum Puddle. And this is Rillian. And today we're going to be discussing the recently released board book adaptation of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and asking the question, what is the right time to introduce our kids to Narnia? And I thought this would, be the, this would be the perfect opportunity to invite another Narnie Weber parent back to the show, the administrator of the Narnie Web Discussion Forum herself. Welcome back, Fantasia. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's been a while. It's good to be back. It's true. It's been a couple <laughs> of years. Long time Narnie Weber. You were one of the first Narnie Webbers, I guess, weren't yeah. you? Yep. She was there before the deep magic. Uh, not quite that cool. <laughs> before the dawn of time. <laughs> not quite that long. Uh, <laughs> awesome to have you back on. Um, and it's really awesome to see some passionate discussion about the board book going on in the forum. Yep. So basically, um, you asked me to look through and get kind of a general opinion of, of or a general overview of the opinion of what everybody thought about the board book when it came out. How are Narnie Webbers reacting to this? That's right. And I would say that overall, most people were kind of, eh, not real hot on it. I mean, it's a very, very simple version of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so a lot of them, a lot of them felt it was maybe too simple. There were a few people that were mostly just excited because, hey, there's a new product out and something cool and new to look at. And that was that was kind of the the overall feel of, I think, of, of what Narnie Webbers felt on the forum. Yeah, lots of mixed uh, reactions, and which is great. Mixed for a great discussion. I've so yep. enjoyed uh, getting into that. And um, I'll have a link... Uh, I'll have a link to that thread, to that discussion in the episode description. And I really want to encourage all our, our listeners to check out the Narnia Web Discussion Forum, which was recently redesigned by the Rose Tree Dryad. If you're a Narnia nerd, which I imagine you are if you're listening, it, it, I just really recommend dropping by. It's such a great place for passionate but civil discussion about Narnia and Narnia-related stuff. Um, jumping into the topic, um, we've all got the Line of the Witch and the Wardrobe board book in front of us, or actually... I can see Fantasia's got it in the background. Um, and uh, it's a it's an extremely, if you're not familiar with it, it's a extremely condensed version of the story, to put it lightly. Extremely condensed. Has 32 pages of highly stylized artwork by Joey Chow. Um, and one of the things I kind of wanted to start with is the question of how did we feel just as Narnia nerds? Uh, were we nervous about showing this to our kids? Um, and that's one of the most interesting aspects of the discussion in the forum is, well, if the book is intended for zero to four-year-olds, um, if they read it at that young age before they can even read, is that going to spoil the real book for them someday? Is that going to lessen that the real book's emotional impact? I, I found two posts in, the, in that discussion in the forum that I thought would be interesting to kind of highlight each side. On one side, you have uh, the scribbler who writes, quote, I am personally thrilled. One thing that is very important with any classic literature is that it keeps being revived for the current era. It brings them to the modern the modern reader's attention, and that is always an accomplishment for classic lit. On the other hand, you have Courtney, who says, quote, I've got one good thing to say about this new version. Yay, Lucy has the correct hair color. Apart from that, though, 
What bugs me most is that it clearly removes almost all the depth of the original story. Yes, it's for young children. But within a few years, they'll be old enough to read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for themselves or have it read to them. And if they've already had the board book version, they'll have been given a load of dreaded spoilers that will probably make the real story less deeply effective and magical for them because they already know basically what's going to happen. End quote. So from there... Fantasia, uh, were you reluctant about reading this book to your kids? Um, I would say for first of all, yes. <laughs> That's the very short and simple answer. Yes, I was. I, I've gotten very cynical in my old age. And I am not a big fan of reworking stories. And in my eyes, it's, I'm just going to say it, it's dumbing it down. Yeah. And I I don't like that at all. So, yes, the short answer, I was very nervous about reading it to my kids. But you did. I did. Actually, you know what's funny is that I didn't read it to my kids. My kids were old enough to open up the box and then it was whisked out of my hands and I never (laughs) saw it again for two weeks. (laughs) Are you sure you want me to go into this part right now? Are you ready to hear their reaction already? You you told me they had an interesting reaction and we're going to save it for the podcast. So tell me how your kids react. All right. So that was my... What what are your kids' ages, by the way? Okay. So... um, Their ages are eight and six for the older two. And then my youngest one is three. She'll be four in a couple weeks. Okay. And what was, what was the reaction? So here's the, and and I feel like I need to give a little bit of backstory to this before I explain what happened. Uh, About two years ago, you had me guest star on the podcast then as well. It was right after I had finished reading The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe to them for the first time. And at the time, um, they would have been about six and four. And I, I figured it was probably over the four-year-old's head. But the six-year-old, I figured he would enjoy it. And it was just not, it wasn't his thing at that time. It was too, he didn't get it. And he's not a big fantasy lover anyways. And so it just, it wasn't his thing. So when I got the board book, and they both ripped it open, and they're they're reading it. My my son, the eight year old, read it through twice, and then my six year old was sitting there hovering over him, you know, as little siblings like to do, and and she's reading it, and then um, he finishes, and she picks up and rereads it again, and then all of a sudden I just started getting this barrage of questions. I really regret not writing them down because they started going how did they get into Narnia through the wardrobe? And why are these kids all so little? And just question (laughs) after question after question. And it completely changed my opinion of the board book. I was like, wow, "Wow, this is so cool. This is like exactly what I think the publisher wanted to accomplish by getting kids interested in Narnia, but not giving them so much detail that they will then be interested in reading the actual book. So I'm hoping this summer that maybe after that reaction to the board book, they'll be interested in diving into the real thing again. We may have to have you back and see how that how the real thing goes. Um, yeah. So for for <laughs> you guys, the board book functioned as a little trailer for the real book. It did. So the little Fantasia's thumbs up. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. And, and the big the actual Fantasia, a thumbs up for that reason. Interesting. For that reason alone, yes. That's really fascinating. Um, we'll come back to that. Um, Rillian, uh, what was uh, what was your reaction? Uh, well, I read it for the first time with uh, our one-year-old, who did 
uh, he liked it. He thought it tasted good, to your point. Uh, just chewed <laughs> off a chunk of the spine there um, before I could stop him. Uh, so first off, I it's not my style of artwork. That said, I really liked it. It was kind of funny. I thought like there's only one page that even mentions the White Witch, which is actually the Purple Witch. It's kind of interesting. Why can't um, the white witch be white? She can never be white. She's, like, she's never like, white. Oh, maybe she'll actually be white. Nope, she's purple. Then just um, highly stylized. I understand if we're talking about a movie and you have to add texture and reality and all that. Okay, maybe. But why can't in this highly stylized children's book, can't the white witch be white? And why would you make her purple? I'm bl- I blame the emperor's new groove. Okay, moving on. Of course, I'm being the adult reading it to the little guy. I'm focused on the text, you know. Uh, I kind of can't help but be focused on the text. I guess part of it is I kind of wondered, okay, well, what's the the point, you know, of of doing a children's book? And so that's kind of part of the question that we're asking. Why why do or a board book? Why do a board book? I will say, kind of to Fantasia's point, I'm a little more okay with this than I am some other children's books that have been done where they kind of for lack of a better term, dumbed down, line limits the wardrobe. I would kind of rather, if it's going to be dumbed down, be dumbed down for a one to two-year-old than for, you know, well, I think that this is better for a four-year-old, you know? And so, because I've seen some other ones where they kind of do the same thing. But then it's kind of in between this and then the real book, which right. is also so, a children's so, book. So, so, so to clarify, you're talking about, what, you know, storybooks where they, you know, abridge the text. It's, pr- it's probably for more like five, six, seven-year-olds right? Um, who might potentially be old enough for the real thing, but it's just like a shorter version for them. That's been done a few times before. This worries you less than that in, in terms of, obviously, spoilers. Yeah, and, and, and I will say... philosophically. And on the basic level of spoiling it, th- there's a part of me that thinks, okay, I, I, my, my son's not going to be... He's not going to remember this from being one-year-old or two-year-old, there's a part of me that when he gets to about four or five, I'm like, I need to hide this. <laughs> there's this stone <laughs> away somewhere. So that way it's not completely uh, r- r- maybe too ruined. But anyway. Yeah, I had a similar thought as far as like, well, for the next year or so, it probably doesn't matter. Although I will say, um, I remember that a few months ago, our regular babysitter mentioned to me that she was going to start reading the Chronicles of Narnia soon. So I have to be careful. I don't have this line around for her. She may start reading it to him, <laughs> and she might get spoiled. So there's all kinds of factors to keep in oh mind. Oh my goodness! Here. The white witch takes Aslan away. No. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so it sounds like really, and then then you uh, you you know your your son's not old enough, and same with me, not old enough for spoilers to be a, a worry at this point. But in a few years, maybe you you would be worried about lessening the emotional impact of the book. It sounds like somewhat. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't, and I won't deny it. With Fantasia's account, I I kind of makes me say uh, second guess it, but uh, every kid's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I will say one thing about the spoilers with this book: I didn't feel like the spoilers were so like, oh, this is what happens. Now I don't need to go read the book. Now I don't need to go see the movie. It was so vague with exactly. what happened. Yeah. I didn't feel like it really spoiled the book much at all. Yeah, and I think that. When I saw there was a board, oh, there's a line of the Witch in the Wardrobe board book, my gut reaction, you know, oh, it's going to spoil the book. And But then when I read it, it, it was sort of this feeling, it takes about, you know, between two and three minutes to read it. Uh, I kind of had this feeling when it, feeling after my first reading of, that's it? <laughs> like, that's what I was so, <laughs> so, so nervous about. So um, 
for those of you that um you know listening who are would say I would never entertain reading this to my kid. It's going to spoil everything. Which look, that there's those are absolutely valid concerns. I'm not saying that that that's not uh, something you should be worried about at all. But I bet once you read it, you won't be as concerned. I bet you'll be like, yeah. oh, that wasn't because you picture, oh, it's a dumbed down adaptation of the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And honestly, that's giving it too much credit. It's just a yeah. bunch of it's yeah. a bunch of pictures of the story with some loose descriptions of the pictures. Basically, very yeah. loose descriptions. Yeah. Well, yes, and I it kind of made I thought that. Uh, Colonel Clink made a good point. He, he said, here's the thing. He goes, the, the book doesn't really make sense. It, actually, if you just read it and like you know nothing else, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as a narrative. It's probably really surreal if you haven't, if you're not familiar with the, with the real story. That's the thing. It's really more, it makes, it makes sense to me because I know the backstory, but right. if you just read this by itself, it doesn't really make sense. But then if you include the things like the prophecy and such that make the story make sense, uh-huh. Then it doesn't make sense to the target audience. <laughs> so he yeah. said, he said, honestly, maybe we just need to consider the fact that maybe Lion the Witch the Wardrobe doesn't lend itself well to a board book. Yeah. Which I think that's a very uh I mean, as far as board books go, there's others that are I think are way better. I mean, I'm just gonna have to say. Yeah, I was thinking that was kind of what I had to do personally, was rather than compare the board book, the Chronicles, or the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, to the book, the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, I instead went, I guess, horizontally. I compared this board book to other board books that I have read to my kids. And then mm-hmm. I feel like that gives it a much better critique. And mm-hmm. and it was funny because when I did that, I had this thought pop into my mind that, gosh, I really wish that they had made this rhyme. Yeah. Because I think that would have given yeah. it something else, um, something special mm-hmm. that the Line of Witch and Wardrobe doesn't have. I even <laughs> I even wrote this really, really like two-second poem. It's awful. I'm sorry. But I'm going to read it anyways. It says, uh, Tumnus starts to cry. Lucy asks him why. Turned to stone, chilled to the bone, should he, the witch, defy? And I think right there that goes like way darker than what they were wow. going for. But I thought, gosh, I really wish that they had had done that because I think that would have really given it something extra special. I agree. That would have been great. And it also would give them a little more justification for poetic license, I think. Uh-huh. That's true. As well for some of the things, some of the changes. Um yeah, here every single, almost every, not every one. We'll get into that in a second. Not all of them, but a lot of it, a lot of the critiques you might have of this, as far as honoring the original story, are, you know, it's thirty-five sentences long, and I think a lot of fans, well, they should have done this, and they should have done that, and they should have done that, and at some point, you're saying what you're really saying is just stick with the original story because right. we're talking right. about a, a super short version of it. What you're saying is it should be way longer. In other words, the original story. Um, <laughs> So that's a really good point. Um, so yes, it sounds like maybe it could have been done better, and maybe Fantasia should have written it. Um, as usual, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Contact Joey Chu and do the sequel, <laughs> do the, or the, the second edition. Second edition. <laughs> what, like Netflix board book people, Harper Collins just asking Arnie Webers. We can always do it better. Not really though. We can complain about it though. <laughs> we can complain about it better. <laughs> but this is how they did it, for better or worse. They went with. Uh, 35 sentences, 32 pages. They tell the whole story in. And uh, and like you said, really, and wanting to keep the context in mind of who the target audience is. But at the same time, we kind of are the target audience here because this is really, I think, for parents that want to share yes. their favorite stories with their children. There's such yeah. a pleasure in that. We actually, my son's favorite, well, first or second favorite book that he loves to read is a Pride and Prejudice counting book. 
Um, but the main reason that was gifted to us. So, is you, do you listen to Mozart at the same time while you're reading it? Of course. Oh, of course. Um, the reason that book exists is not because that's the best way to teach him counting. It's because my wife, and me too, it's her favorite book, Pride and Prejudice. There's a pleasure and a fun in sharing your favorite books with, with, yeah. uh, with yeah. kids. But that said, with kids being the target audience, it's like we kind of are the target audience too. So I, I feel like I do have some license to complain about this as a Narnia nerd. So there are some specifics I want to get into. The Narnia whoever reading it to their little kid, that is the target experience. So I want to just bring up a few things because it's basically, you know, HarperCollins describes this as a, quote, gentle retelling of the story. So really anything that's maybe violent or potentially frightening has been very much watered down or cut out cut out altogether. And the big one that I wanted to get to is uh, the handling of Aslan's death, or rather, I mean, like, he doesn't really, as far as we know in the book, he doesn't die at all. Instead, he is simply, quote, taken away by the witch. And everyone thinks the lion is gone. Then he turned the page. But the next day, you know, Lucy and Susan saw him alive and well. Um, so, and that's it. So there's no sense of him dying, just that he was taken away and put in timeout or something, I guess. Which maybe for little kids is scary. Uh, Fantasia, just as a Narnia Weber parent, what was your reaction to how they handled uh, Aslan being taken away instead of dying? Yeah, I didn't care for that very much myself. I guess if you are going back to what we said earlier about spoilers, if you're looking at it from the spoiler perspective... It's okay. But if you're looking at it from, um, oh, we don't want to overdo it for the little kids, eh, I think we're not giving little kids enough credit. I mean, Hmm. if you take them to church, and I know not everybody does, but if you do take them to church from little bitty on, they're going to hear about Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, that's just, that's just what they're, they're taught. And that's not the only thing out there that you hear about death and dying and all that other stuff. So I really have no problem at all with with being more specific and saying, yes, the White Witch killed Aslan, but that's okay because Aslan is greater than the White Witch and now he's back. So that was my reaction. I I would have I would have been more specific with it for sure. So I think that it's like you question the the need to uh, water down Aslan's death, but correct. They but they did, and does the way they did it, even though maybe you wish they had just go out, gone gone ahead and killed him, the way they did it of having um, Aslan be taken away, um, does that um, did that annoy you at all? Apart from I know I know you don't think it was necessary, but they did. Do you think that checks the box enough uh, as far as the story goes? Well, if um, you're gonna if you're going to not put in that. The White Witch kills Aslan. I don't know any other way to do it. Okay. I can't okay. think of any other way to to say. I mean. Well, you could have him be taken away, for example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're just not on board with it at all. That, that not there's really. no need to do. It. Okay. No. H- how about you, really? And your reaction to Aslan being being taken away by the witch? I think. Well, you'll be able to, the. I guess the we're doing it so the Patreon members will be able to see my live reading and my first reaction to it. Um. No, I think Fantasia said it really well. Uh, for yeah, it's better as from a spoiler perspective. But at some point, you got to ask the question: Okay, why are we why are we doing a board book of Lion the Witch the Wardrobe, as opposed to just coming up with a whole new original story as a board book? If you want to sell a board book, and I agree that we don't give kids enough credit. And I think I mean, for one thing, 
in terms of the concept of death, the, for the target audience, they really are not going to understand. They're, they're just not. I kind of was okay with them not talking about the kidnapping part uh, with, with Tumnus, for example, to, in an effort to not scare kids. Yeah, T- T- Tumnus just cries, but he's crying just because, oh, of the witch's rule, but he, they never mention kidnapping. Yeah. For, but for But yeah, I think that actually giving children, even from a young age, an appropriate like, exposure to like, well, d- just the, they start, they hear about the concept of death. It doesn't introduce itself at age five, six or whatever as, oh, here's this new thing I've never heard of. Well, they understand it more. But I think that there's actually something really healthy with in an imaginative context, with whether it's storybooks, whether it's a, even an Easter book, which is not really imaginative, but where kids grow up where in this story that they're reading in front of them, Maybe there's this uncomfortable, sad thing, and they get to experience it on an emotional level, even from a very young age, but it's sort of confined within that imaginative realm. And I think it gives kids a better ability to start to deal with sadness, grief within a story, and then they can kind of pull away and disconnect because they, they can see this is an imaginative experience, even though the emotions might be real. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very much with Fantasia on that. And uh, if I were to have a single biggest critique uh, with the book, uh, that would probably be it. Yeah, I'd say first off, I would agree that, you know, in general, we don't give kids enough credit, um, especially as it relates to the concept of death. Um, I am as a Narnia parent reading that. Yeah, it was disappointing. Maybe think maybe a little less disappointing for me than you guys, but it was really that's it. This is such an important moment in the story and in the Chronicles of Narnia, and that's it. That's all you're going to do. Um, but also, that was a moment where I kind of immediately went back to kind of what we've been saying: is hang on, let's keep the context in mind. Of the, it's a board book; it's 35 sentences. Even if they have Aslan's death in there, there's no way they're going to come anywhere close to doing it justice. Um, and you almost wonder if it was in, if it was in there. Would we be here saying, I mean, why even have Aslan Seth? You can't do it justice just on like one quick reference to it, you know? Um, so it's almost like a, it's like a lose-lose. I mean, just imagine we're talking about how does the book stand just on its own, apart from the original story. And as it is, it's a really – it must be a really surreal experience reading this book. If you're not – and seem really random if you haven't read the story. To throw on top of it, oh, and by the way, he dies on the next page, but then he's back. <laughs> it's just – I mean, it's a whiplash. It's just a fact that if you're going to do like – if you're going to do like a little children's book or like a board book, Oliver Twist lends itself to a board book better than Carmen Punishment. Okay, probably. <laughs> I mean, it, it just does. So some books just uh, you know, lend themselves better, you know, going back to kind of Colonel Clink's point. The, the other uh, big thing I, I wanted to kind of, as far as the specifics that may, where maybe we're overanalyzing is Narnia nerds, but here we are. Welcome to Talking Beast, the Narnia podcast. Um, the other big thing that got discussed a lot, probably the main thing that got discussed actually in the thread was the introduction of Aslan. Um, the way he's introduced, you know, we see uh, Peter, Susan, and Lucy looking at Aslan fully revealed for the first time. And it says that Aslan is, quote, he is a lion greater than all lions, big and bright like the sun, and he makes you feel safe. Oh. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Since you vocalize your reaction first, Fantasia, tell me your reaction to <laughs> Do Aslan. I need to add anything else to that? I mean, that was that was the way I felt about it. No, it was that was hands down my biggest dislike of the book. 
hands down. The whole time they're going through the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan isn't safe, but he's good. He's not a tame lion. And I, I just, that like countered everything that is built up as a theme about Aslan and the Chronicles of Narnia. So no, I did not like that line at all. There's a million different words they could have picked besides that one, but they, for some reason, chose safe and I did not like it. And of course, the, I mean, the reason as a Narnian or the reason it hurts is because Mr. Beaver very famously, one of the more mm-hmm. famous and iconic lines in the whole series is Mr. Beaver saying, of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. Yep. Really, and your reaction to um, Aslan makes you feel safe. Uh, to, to be fair, uh, it said that it didn't say that Aslan was safe. It said that the children felt safe with him. But actually, even 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 that, if if you read you know the Silver Chair with Jill, that's not at all how yep. she felt. <laughs> so, no. I, again, I I think it, and I want to emphasize. I think the children should feel very safe with their parents. They should. I think that feeling safe with your parents actually makes for courageous children because they're willing to uh, rise up and test the boundaries and be adventurous because they know that they're they're safe in their family, um, and they have a family that supports and loves them. So don't misunderstand, but yeah, I, I think that at some point that, I mean, these books are adventure books. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of a, just a strange thing I, I see, you, you know, and I, I've thought about this a lot, just, uh, uh, you know, when we lost our son, uh, you know, in 2019, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's just so strange. I, I've thought a lot about how life is uh, it's life is not safe. And I think that I thought a lot, you know, I mean, we have pictures on our wall of, uh, our son's a uh, big brother who he doesn't remember. And, but he already recognizes him. He can identify him from picture to picture. Oh, wow. And at some point, you know, he's going to grow up knowing that, uh, a little, a little boy in this family, uh, died when he was a little boy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for an, a, another young, young, very young child in our family. Uh, it was, he was very, very close to our son and it was a huge shock to him. He thought that only old people died. Mm-hmm. He didn't know that children sometimes died. Now, now it's completely changed his whole worldview. And again, I get very personal here, but I think it's just to say, I got, I don't, I'm not, I'm not freaking out about this book. We'll keep it. We're not going to burn it or anything, you know, and I might pull it, pick it up a time or two after this, but I've just been very thoughtful about what from a very young age within an age appropriate way. And I don't have all the answers by any means. How do we raise our kids, uh, with proper expectations about the world in terms of, uh, just the, the difficult things. And they're not going to understand a lot, but, at some point, I think that it's important to um, just give kids uh, good expectations. And I'm sure Fantasia has way more wisdom than I do. She has more kids and they're older. But um, it's just something I think about. And we consider it with our children's books. There's been some books that we've uh, gotten. And uh, um, they're they're so – they're basically just like cotton candy. It's just a, hey, just a feel-good experience about things. And, and isn't – and again, these are little board books, you know. I don't want to go crazy here. Right. But even books that are like for older kids and stuff, we've looked at them like, mm, yeah, this is just this is really not true on any level or stretch. So we're just not yeah. gonna not gonna read this. Okay, so yeah, I'm definitely gonna echo a lot of what both of you are saying about um and generally speaking, we we don't give kids enough credit. Hey, the book 
even for zero to four year olds, an adaptation of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe could have been and perhaps should have been a little more frightening, not been so afraid to talk about death, or maybe it maybe it made more possibly it made more of an effort to try to express this difficult concept of Aslan being not safe but good. But I think I am largely going to come to the book's defense on this one line. Um, I'll admit that as a Narnia nerd, I cringe a bit, but just because Mr. Beaver's line is so iconic, I think that if they had said, Aslan makes you feel protected, I don't think I would have, for example, which I think in effect comes to the same thing. Um, I don't think um, I would have cringed at all. As far as uh, you want to introduce Aslan in one sentence, and you want to say that, um, and you want to set up the idea, and again, I, maybe I shouldn't be looking at this as a narrative at all. Maybe that's a mistake. But um, if you want, to, uh, the point is to set up that when Aslan is taken away, that's bad. All hope is lost. Everyone thinks that's the end, right? Um, so the point is to say that Aslan is um, the ultimate. He's all powerful, and he is our hope. He makes us feel safe. You know, when Peter is talking to Aslan in the line, "The Witch, the Wardrobe," the real story, and you know, Peter says, but you'll be there too, won't you, Aslan? And Aslan says, I can give you no promise of that. I think it's fair to say that Peter did not feel safe anymore or felt a lot less safe knowing that Aslan wasn't going to be there. And there are certainly times where, think about Dark Island, when it seems like maybe one of the darkest moments in the whole series, literally and um, thematically. And then it's Aslan's, it's that the albatross going past and saying, courage to your heart. And then we know for sure it's Aslan. Oh, it's got to be Aslan. Then there's that ray of hope, and all of a sudden there's this, I'd say, feeling of safety, of as dark as things are, Aslan's here, I guess everything's going to be okay. So I think as far as introducing Aslan in just that one sentence, um, I think in letting kids know he makes you feel safe, which I think is a concept kids can relate to, I think this is okay. I just wish they had gone with a synonym for safe instead of the actual word safe, only because that's an icon. That's such an iconic line. Now, Douglas Gresham, um, when I interviewed him, said that the he basically said the reason he did this is because they didn't want kids to have night nightmares about dangerous lions. And again, you could say, oh, why, seriously. Again, going back to why are they why they don't think they, they don't give kids enough credit. But I really think what he maybe what he was getting at is that little kids by default, will naturally have this, we'll see a big lion and go, ooh, big scary lion. So I think Gresham's saying, as far as establishing Aslan in one sentence, you kind of get the not safe part for free. So the challenge is to present the other side to them, that no, 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 he's not just a scary lion, he's good. Our boys both thought lions were cool. <laughs> and, and our youngest yeah, they, knows that whenever he sees a lion, he's to go, rawr, on cue. Oh, look, a lion, rawr. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I've got one that would like just go up and and probably fight it to the death. So yeah. So if if if, Doug, if Gresham's saying that, then you guys are obviously disagreeing. It does have Baby Yoda. Where? Oh my goodness! Everybody, go open your book at home right now and go to the Aslan uh, being taken away page, and you will see a few Baby Yodas. Uh, spoiler alert! Sorry. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I would. I'm really kind of in between Gresham and you guys. I really kind of see uh, the different points of view. And again, like you pointed out, really, and it's not saying Aslan is safe. It's saying Aslan makes you feel safe. I think at the very least, kids have this sense of lions are powerful, and even if they enjoy the scariness of lions, they still have the sense that lions are big and scary. You know. And I, I do feel kind of bad because this book was put together 
by especially I have to, I mean I know, I see why Joey Chu's name is on the very front by someone way more talented than I am, and um, I feel bad like because we're, we're kind of ragging on this book. Like for one thing, they get the they don't call him Santa Claus. That could have been that could have easily come in there. Is Father Christmas? They don't call him Santa Claus, and even. You can't see this if you're just listening to the audio, but even just the artwork. So here's, uh, I love you it. You can see, I like it. Yeah. Like you can see, here's a uh, on one page you have Edmund going off in one direction towards ice and snow where there's still winter, and the children, uh, his siblings are Peter, Susan, and Lucy are already experiencing spring going off with the beavers towards the sunset, and it's on, on one page. And even from an artistic perspective, I just, I look at that and I love it. It tells a story even in that one picture. I too am, I, I'd, I'd say I'm fond of the artwork. Um, but by no means is this the definitive visualization of Narnia or anything. Um, but I, 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 I like the style. It actually reminds me a little bit of uh, Cartoon Saloon, some of the movies they do, like Song of the Sea mm-hmm. and... Yeah. Um, the Breadwinner, and crap, what's the other one that I really like? Secret of Kells. Secret of Kells. Thank you. Right on cue. Um, I, I, this kind of reminds you of that style. I've heard, I think um, this isn't like, oh, this is my Narnia. And some people, when they talk, when they're critiquing Narnia visuals, I think it's like they've got that one image in their head. Like, that's how Narnia should look. And if it's not that, then it's wrong. This is not the Narnia I see in my head when I read the books. But I still, I still enjoy it. And you're right, Glumpadal, that some of this is a lose-lose. Like, I really cringed when it said, he finds the witch who gives him candy. Instead of Turkish Delight. Yeah, I, I cringed, but I can't think of a... I mean, there's no other way to say it. Not for this audience. Like, yeah, unless... I don't know. Maybe Now, in my home, we have Turkish Delight every day. But <laughs> I mean, at some point, it's like, okay, th- yeah, I, there's a lose-lose there. You're going to lose if you say Turkish Delight. You're going to lose if you say candy, you know? <laughs> and I feel like as far as if we want to like, hey, let's give these creators some credit here. I think that you can tell, even with there's things we disagree with or have issues with, it, it. I feel like you can tell this book was created with care. And going back to what you were saying earlier about like, well, how would you make it different? It would be to add more and more and more and more until you get back to the original book. I am impressed with how well it was condensed and still kept the overall story arc. So, yeah. They yeah. did a pretty good job with a very difficult task. It doesn't mean it came out amazing, but maybe it couldn't come out amazing, which maybe brings you back to the question of, well, then why do it? Go to the forum and, and have your thoughts, <laughs> I guess, on, well, then Again, why do it? it's for um, the experience of Narnia Webbers and Narnia fans yeah. reading it to their kids. Well, I was going to say, if, if you do it, it's it's so I can get my older two to maybe fall in love with Narnia again. Yeah, I, I'm really cu- I'm really curious to see. And by the way, I think one aspect of this we haven't gotten into as we're wrapping up here. I, I first read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, when I was about 11. And I was already familiar with a lot of the basic beats. I was familiar with a lot of the imagery, at least, that there's a girl that goes into a wardrobe and meets Mr. Tumnus, and there's a white witch, and there's Aslan. Like, I didn't really, I was extremely blurry on the story, but um, I was familiar with a lot of the imagery. Obviously, um, by the time I read it for myself, when I was 11, I still really enjoyed it. It became one of my favorite books, and here I am producing an Arnia podcast. So um, I think that, in my opinion, there's not enough, as far as spoilers go, there's not enough here to be truly concerned uh, maybe it will spoil some things for your kids. I still, I don't think it will. It will take a kid who would have enjoyed the book otherwise, and will make them now not enjoy the real book. I don't think mm-hmm. it's going to be like that. No. You also have to consider this. I mean, it, it's great. It's kind of like if it's, it's great if you can keep your kid from knowing that 
Spoiler alert, Darth Vader's Luke's father. But how, but how many of us actually avoided that spoiler? Yeah, exactly. Well, oh, I did. I did. Oh. Because I had a good dad. <laughs> okay. I did not. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Uh, you have to consider that, too. I mean, is this, for example, for it, the movies are so out there, and a lot of people have a general concept of the movies and the books, even if they've never read it uh, or seen the movie. Is this going to spoil it for them? No. If you have no awareness at all of what the story is, would it spoil some things? Yeah, kinda, kinda. You know, mm-hmm. give you some general, yeah. general ideas of where the story is going. But so, so you have to consider that too. If your kid, I guess it's gonna be kind of hard because like we're kind of a Narnia house, and like we talk. Yeah. I mean, we reference the books and stories and characters in the books throughout the week. And oh, it'd be like Edmund doing that. We just reference the stories, so right. it'd be kind of hard. To, for this to spoil it more than maybe just growing up in our house would. I, you could probably spoil the narrative of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe quite a bit. I still think you're going to have a powerful experience with it because it's really the, the atmosphere and the vibe and the tone that Lewis creates. And I keep reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe again, even though I know the story, because I want to go back and be in that world again. So I certainly think that uh, I'm less concerned about plot spoilers for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe than I might be with other stories. I think that that's not that's not what makes Narnie what it is, I think. And Fantasia, if you ever decide to just write up your own little rhyme scheme for this particular <laughs> book, I'll print it out and I'll put, I'll just tape the text on each page. I don't care. <laughs> wow. Per- okay, we'll have to offer the Narnia Web alternate version of the board yeah. book with just Fantasia's version taped over the text. Um, so uh, before we sign off here, um, and eventually we're going to get to uh, would we when will we introduce our kids to the Narnie movies? We'll talk about that to the Narnie movies. Uh, we'll talk about that in, in a minute. Um, that's a whole a whole other thing. Um, so when is the ideal age to introduce uh, your kids to Narnie? I think we'll start with uh, with you, Rillian. Um, when would you say? Is the ideal age to introduce your son to Narnia? Have, 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 what's what 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 are you kind of anticipating there? Completely depends on the kid. Boring. I, I really think that, <laughs> no, I know, I know. But even oh, I'm like, so glad uh, he picked you for Australian. He's a great, he's a, no, I'm serious. Well, well, I guess I maybe rephrase the question: like, what factors are we looking for? I guess in deciding that it's time. I'd say part of it's going to be attention span. Part of it's going to be: do they even enjoy fantasy? Which Fantasia kind of alluded to before. Uh, I think by the time that a kid would be able to even able to understand the story, right? We're talking about like between five, six, seven, eight, that kind of age span, depending on the child, you know, I think the parents will have a pretty good idea on, will this give my kid nightmares? I think that's one of the first things that parents get a good idea of in terms of narratives being appropriate for their kids. Is that a boring answer? Yeah. No, it's, that's fine. I think for, for, for me, it's just, um, I want to hit that sweet spot where if, if you wait a little too like you want to hit that place where they have the innocence, um, like you want to be old enough to be able to appreciate and grasp certain elements of the story and the themes and the emotions. But if you wait too long, maybe they'll be they won't be able to appreciate the wonder quite as much. So Fantasia, what do you think? What are some of the factors you'd have in mind, and kind of how do you, generally speaking, how do you kind of know? Oh, maybe it's time. Right now, my kids' favorite books are books that are funny. Like the one we're reading right now is called The Penderwicks, which is about four sisters who have all these wild and crazy adventures. They're just hilarious. And uh, those are my kids' favorite books right now. And while there are certainly funny moments in Narnia, they're a lot more serious. And um, and so I'm wondering if it's going to be more like when they kind of get past 
the the stage of being silly and start to become a little more serious themselves. Whereas I'm going to be really curious to see my youngest, who, like I said, is going to be four next month. Um, she is my little warrior child. Um, she spent yesterday chasing a dog around with a broom um, out at my parents-in-law's farm because it Bernardia! jumped up on her. That's right. <laughs> and uh, and so I could see her enjoying the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe much earlier than the other two. Um, when that specific age comes, I don't know. But um, that's just kind of my thought for my own three kids. And yeah, it's just going to depend on the kid and what they like and dislike. And yeah. I think another factor, I don't know if this makes sense to you guys as much. Maybe I'm revealing something about myself a little bit here, but um, I sometimes when, when kids, when they know that they can sense their parents want them to like something, they're a little less likely to like it. And how can I hide that from my son that I so <laughs> badly want to share this with him? I'm sure I'll be like, oh, uh, I'm sure I'll be, I'll try very hard. I'll be like, oh, let's read this book here. Oh, Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. What do you say? Oh, dad's talking fun. about Narnia again. Exactly. <laughs> Anyway, um, that said, I'd say 6.7 is the correct age to read uh, Narnia to your children. You heard it here first, folks. Okay, my son must not have been quite 6.7. So the next big question I want to get into is, but what about the movies? I think it's safe to say that we probably are all, we really want um, our kids to read the books before seeing the movies. Memorize them. Yes, that's pretty, yeah. Or maybe memorize them, maybe read them multiple times before they're permitted to watch the movie. But uh, um, how big of a deal, how much of a deal breaker is it? Like if you if we were to discover, um, um, you know, you, you, you go to pick up your, your kid from a friend's house or something and, you, and the parents didn't know any better and you see they're right at the melting river scene of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the movie. Uh, how panicked are the you? The child has a magician's <laughs> nephew copy on his lap. No! Um, so, like, h- how big of a and how much do we keep them away from, like, uh, any imagery? And, like, how worried are we about the movies, you know, uh, steering our kids in the wrong direction too early? But we're going to talk about that in the post-show chatter of this episode. So uh, we're going to continue this discussion. If you want to hear that, our discussion about introducing our kids to the movies, there's a link in the description. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Um and um, we'll see how, pa- how, cra- how passionate and crazy it gets because we're talking about the movies here. Um, but lovely discussion. Uh, great to have you back, Fantasia. Um, uh, why don't you go ahead and read the outro? You've been listening to Talking Beasts, the Narnia podcast from NarniaWeb.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes. Post a comment on NarniaWeb.com or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. Visit Patreon.com slash NarniaWeb to support this co- podcast and get exclusive content, including more episodes. You can also email us at Glumpuddle at NarniaWeb.com, Rillian at NarniaWeb.com, or Fantasia at NarniaWeb.com. Special thanks to AJ Aiken, our assistant editor. Until next time, further up and further in. Mm-hmm.